I also bring you greetings. Um, Dave was at Presbytery. I had to suffer for the cause of Jesus down in Orlando <laughs> at, at a meeting at the General Assembly level. And, uh, and, and that was a joy and a pleasure. And so I bring you greetings from Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the denomination, but also um, I bring you greetings from 690 churches that, that comprise the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And that's a joy and a pleasure. If, if you'd open your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 36. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 36 through 46. Hear the word of the Lord. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then you remember the story. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized him. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And continuing at verse 41, and Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said again. Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he, in a, um, <coughs> excuse me. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that your word is like a two-edged sword. It, it, it cuts to the very heart of things, to the very heart of us, so that it might expose that which is within that is in need of your healing and restoration. But God, the amazing thing is, as that sword is withdrawn, the gift that your word gives to us is one of healing and grace and love and power to live new. 
And so, Lord, we pray now that your word might do its work in us so richly and so deeply that when the world sees our lives and hears our words, the truth and evidence of your grace and love might be made known to all. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask it. And all God's people said? So how do you gain confidence? How do you do that? Maybe a story will help bring that to life. When I was in seminary, a friend's wife knew that I'd been a long-distance runner. She was training for a half marathon and, and wanted some company on a training run. So Barb asked a few of the other students to run with her. Now, I hadn't run in two years. I had had multiple severe ankle sprains that had ended my career. I'd rehabbed from the last injury, but once recovered, I hadn't returned to training. When she asked, I needed some exercise, so I went. I mean, after all, it was only six miles, and I was a long-distance runner. How, How hard could it be? How bad could it be? After five and a half miles, I was struggling, and the scope of my deconditioning was becoming painfully evident. The last half mile was up a 15% grade. Barb left me in the dust. I staggered in, thoroughly embarrassed and wholly winded. At the end of it, Barb smiled and asked if I wanted to run the half marathon with her. I mean, it was obvious that I could barely run the six miles we'd just finished. It was, it was just a knife, right, to my pride. And so having had every competitive button punched by this experience, I called my former coach, and he mapped out a training regime. I checked in with him regularly uh, to keep him updated and gain his help in making training adjustments as my conditioning improved. The work built until I was running six miles at a good pace two days a week. One day a week, I'd do hill work. I did speed work one day each week, including quarter-mile sprints at paced increments. And so I'd run four quarter-miles at 60 seconds a quarter, a four-minute mile pace. I'd run four quarters at 75 seconds each, a a five-minute mile pace. I'd run um, four more quarters at 90 seconds each, a six-minute mile pace. You get the idea. What I was doing um, then was... To re-familiarize myself with how a certain pace felt so I could automatically make those adjustments while running. And then I'd run a longer, slower cool down. I did a long run each week of 12 to 15 miles with half of those miles at varied paces. Two days of the work included strength exercises to build my ankles back up. Every day I was stretching. Recovery days were built in. I would do medium distance runs with barb. But I'd never, ever push the pace. This is called sandbagging. (laughs) After three months, I was ready for race day. For the first two miles, we ran at a a seven-minute-a-mile pace together. And then I started to ratchet up the pressure. The next mile was a 6.30. The one after that was at a six-minute pace until I reached a 5.30 pace. I left Barb in the dust. I blew her socks off. It was so sweet. Did I mention that I'm competitive? We'll speak more about that in a minute. But please note, my confidence was built through three things. 
ongoing conversation with my coach, varied and consistent practice, and renewed and growing knowledge of my coach, my sport, and myself. In this morning's passage, Elijah prays to God confidently. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. So how do we get there? How do we have that assurance and that conviction? How do we grow our confidence in God so that his will, his work, and his way become completely ours? Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37 maps the way. Last week, Pastor Dave commented that Elijah's simple yet confident prayer takes 20 seconds. I hate to contradict you, Dave, but, but I consistently timed it at 23. Now, maybe, maybe that's because part of my heritage is Southern. While I lost the accent, the cadence is still mine, unless I get all jacked up. So folks from the South speak more slowly. They savor words. You know, if I, if I wanted you to come to my house for some event, I'd say, please come over to the house. Now, in the South, that gets boiled down to something very simple. Y'all come. You get it? Y'all come. While the number of words are reduced, the time it takes to deliver each word lengthens. Y'all come. Elijah prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. Remember, prayer is ongoing conversation with God. And it's a constant in Elijah's life. He's just spent over three years in intimate relationship with Yahweh God. Both by the Wadi Kerith and at the house of the widow of Zarephath. In humble obedience to God's instruction... He confronts the prophets of Baal and Asherah before the gathered spiritual leadership, the political leadership, and the people of Israel. Did you catch how he prays? He prays on the basis of a sacrifice for sin. A central tenet of Jewish faith is that the impure cannot stand before the pure. Sinful people cannot stand and live before a completely pure, just, and all-powerful God, regardless of how loving he is. A sacrifice must be offered to atone, to acknowledge and pay for the price, the cost of sin. Elijah ordered two bulls be brought. And he and the prophets of Baal and Asherah would each offer a sacrifice to their God, So that everyone could see whose sacrifice was actually accepted, Baal's or Yahweh's. Blood was shed to account for the terrible cost of sin. Now, John says this necessary sacrifice is brought into our lives in this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live 
through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. It simply means the atoning sacrifice. There it is for our sins. First John 4, 9 and 10. Jesus, who was sinless, was scourged, nailed to a cross and died on it to pay the blood price for our sin. It's no accident that Jesus taught us to pray in his name. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. His sacrifice is applied to us when we believe in him and his work and confess him before others. We pray in Jesus' name to regularly acknowledge the sacrifice that makes possible our approach to God. We, we set the only adequate sacrifice before God, that of his sinless son. So, Elijah prays in the name of God. In the Old Testament, the generic name for God, as Dave said, is Elohim. But the revealed name is Yahweh. Using the revealed name of God indicates that you know to whom you're praying. You aren't praying to some undefined entity whom you neither know nor understand. You know God because he's revealed himself to you. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now note, Elijah's prayer is rooted in the history of God's work and the nature of God's character. That, that simple phrase binds up both of those. Think of all the biblical stories associated with just those three names, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Right? Elijah offers prayers to the only one who is actually God. And remember the mockery that he used of, the, of Baal, right? This God never sleeps. This God is never off work. This God is never parked on the commode. How does the psalmist say it? Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalms 121.4. It's amazing that God so loves us and so hungers for us to know him. That he gives us his name in both the Old and New Testament. Remember, he does this even though we all too frequently misuse his name when we claim to be his, but our deeds give lie to our words. But our deeds give lie to our words. Jesus teaches us to pray to God saying, Our Father. The Greek is intimate, literally, Abba, Daddy. God wants us to know him, to call out to him, to converse with him, to trust him. And to love him. Elijah prays for the glory of God to be revealed and known. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Elijah learns for God to be yearns for God to be revealed and, and known as the only true God. He wants God to glorify himself, to make his glory known, so that this people may know you. O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. In Reformed faith, we say, soli deo gloria, 
to the glory of God alone. We do this because our rebellion against God was driven by self-focus and self-interest. We want the glory for ourselves. We want the power and control for ourselves. And we've been chasing social approval and and self-approval ever since. Westminster has it right. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God's chief end is that he himself is glorified in all things. No wonder Jesus taught us to pray in this kingdom-focused way that we just prayed. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. We pray for the complete and absolute rule of God in every nook and cranny of our lives and world. We remember and pray for God and his purposes before we ever lift up the first one of our needs. Because we've got to get our heads on straight about the priority in the relationship and we so easily forget. God loves to answer kingdom prayers because they're all about him. But God help me. Too often I pray in ways that indicate that it's my will and my way that I want done. And I want it done according to my timing. Father, forgive. Now, I love this next part. Elijah prays that he, Elijah, would be known as God's servant. Elijah reminds God that he is here at God's command, so vindicate your servant. He asks this because the people are unhappy with him, because Elijah and his God haven't met their physical needs. There's no water for people, flocks, or crops. The the problem is their spiritual dryness is the deeper issue that most needs quenching. Elijah's fulfillment of God's calling has challenged the false truths under which they lived. Show them that I am your servant, your consecrated man. Praise Elijah. Now, why does he pray in this bold and seemingly self-focused way? We think of the work of a prophet as foretelling the future. But God's prophet principally does that to bring God's people back into alignment with God's will, right? With God's work and God's way in the here and now. Speaking truth about the cost of sin, if it continues to be pursued, is done so that God's people have a cautionary warning that provides an opportunity for them to repent and return to God. And so Elijah prays that God acts to confirm that Elijah has done what God commands, not acted on his own authority. And God does vindicate Elijah's calling. Fire comes from heaven and consumes the offering. Now, unfortunately, Elijah and you and I have a human problem. Dave's going to get into this more next week. The truth is we haven't fully taken to heart God's grace, nor do we live totally within his will as we do God's work in his way. As Pastor Dave's going to dig into, on the heels of Elijah's great success comes great failure. I suspect Elijah wanted his prayers answered in a very particular way, one that indicated Elijah knew best. If I had to guess, 
I'd say that Elijah's expectations of how God would answer his prayers weren't met. He expect, expected that when the sacrifice was completely consumed, despite the 14 liters of water soaking it, and after the rains had come, Ahab and Jezebel would repent and all of the people of Israel would return to Yahweh. If Ahab and Jezebel didn't repent, God would take them out, right? He'd roast them and toast them. That's the fire from heaven that Elijah was hoping for. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We can easily slip back into self-focus, which is why it's mission critical for God's people to follow Jesus, to follow God with great humility. We have to be quick to recognize and confess our sins. Remember my opening story? At the end of the half marathon, I, I was running far ahead of Barb, probably 10 or 12 minutes ahead. I began my closing sprint to the finish line. I mean, I was passing runners left and right, and I was feeling really good. And let's be honest, I was feeling pretty daggone froggy. At at that moment, I knew with time and practice, I could get back to competitive race conditioning. I, I could get back to being one of those guys challenging for the win. About 15 feet from the finish line, I was passed by a 17-year-old girl who might have weighed 100 pounds dripping wet. She blew past me like I was standing still. It was humbling, but humility was needed. How quickly I had forgotten God's provision of renewed health. My coach's correction of thought, form, and practice The return of joy and simply being able to run like that. And the gift of discipline, dedication to practice that led to my success. It's easy to fall back in wanting it all to be about me. My temptation, and I suspect yours, is to pray for my will to be carried out in my way according to my timing. Leo Tolstoy got it right when he said everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. We hunger for God's power and God's glory. But these so quickly tempt us into folly and sin. God wants us to give God wants to give us his very nature, right? In this way we can again love as steadfastly as he loves. Forgive as sacrificially as he forgives. Serve as humbly as he serves. Give as abundantly as he gives. And hope as unquenchably as he does. Whenever this happens, however imperfectly and inconsistently, the world will know that God is Lord. As we noted above, we pray kingdom prayers. Elijah prayed, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you've turned their hearts back. We we pray for repentance and the return of sinners. We pray for conversion. And in our going, we then live in such a way that when the Holy Spirit 
opens a door to gospel conversations. We are utterly and instantly prepared to step through it and have them. We boldly go. Elijah prayed within God's promises. Did you catch that? He offers a sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. He prays in God's name. He prays for God's glory and purposes. He prays for the vindication of the ministry of God's word, which is what Elijah had been proclaiming, even though the the people didn't want to hear it. He prays for repentance and the return of God's people for conversion. What does Luke tell us? Jesus said in 1910, the Son of Man came to seek and save who? The lost, right? Elijah prays within God's promises. That's not a small thing. And so mindful of who God is and what God has done, And as a result, who we are and what we are called to do by God's grace and through his power, we pray confidently. When our prayers are offered within the will and way of God, we can rest trusting that he will hear and answer them out of his unmatched wisdom. We pray consistently. Did you pick that up out of the second part of this? Look at what Elijah does. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of the rushing of rain. And Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah hears in that moment with the ears of faith. Is there any rain falling anywhere at that point? No, right? But he hears it. He hears it. Spiritually, he hears it. And he commands Ahab to go and prepare himself for what is to come. Now note how he prays. Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down to the earth and placed his face between his knees. He bows down, placing his head between his knees. That's the posture of a totally submitted servant who has yielded up his or her life to Almighty God. Elijah is in the exact same position as all of Israel had been after God answered Elijah's earlier prayer and consumed his offering. Remember their words at that moment. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And yet, they will tell you from the story coming up, that's not where they are. They don't really believe and affirm that Yahweh is Lord. But Elijah's just the opposite. Everything he says, everything he does indicates he absolutely, confidently trusts God to work and fulfill his commands, God's commands to his servant. Now, while the Bible doesn't command a particular posture in prayer, Elijah models submission to God's will and timing. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, and go down, lest the rain stop you. 
And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Seven times Elijah sends his servant to check on the view to the sea. Six times the servant returns seeing nothing. On the seventh time, clouds are forming. Elijah commands him to tell Ahab that he needs to go while he can. The story says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of the Jezreel Valley. I I thought when I was running half marathons regularly, that was pretty good. Elijah's, Elijah's pulling a marathon here, 26, right? It's a marathon distance. Did you also catch that Elijah prays persistently? Seven times he's praying while the servant's running up and checking. He will not surrender confidence in God's word and God's command and God's promise. And so he lives within the boundaries God had delineated for faithful life and relationship. So how does this happen? How do we learn to converse confidently with God? How can you and I reach a place where our prayers are shaped like this? How, more importantly, how can you and I get to a place where we are shaped like this? We make time. To be in relationship with God through his word and committed ongoing prayer through worship and service. That time is the priority that overrides and shapes and governs everything else in your day. We grow in the knowledge of who God is and what God has done as we spend that time with him. We also grow in the knowledge of just exactly who God created you and I to be. By his grace, for his purposes. And we discover what those purposes are for us. We practice all that Jesus had commanded so that we might image him ever more faithfully. After all, Jesus is our prototype. Remember Colossians chapter 1. Thanks be to God that Jesus is gracious and provides a way forward for us. Dave led you through it. How did John say it? And this, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5, 14. That is, we seek to live, we seek to live in God's presence Before God's face, seeking his pleasure as we do his will. Do you see how different a framing of our lives and our days that creates? Praise team, come on forward. Remember the conditions for transformation from earlier in the series. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And know that when we turn 
and return to God. God hears us, meets us with forgiveness, and pours out uncountable blessings as he heals and restores us. And we can live and pray confidently through him. Thanks be to God. If you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, you know, Lord, how great our need for healing truly is. We confess this morning that being right is much more fun than being humbled. Remaining defensive is so much easier than confessing our sin. Seeking our own gain seems more rewarding than offering kindness. Getting even is more instinctive than submitting and serving. And so we find ourselves again in need of fresh grace today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who convicts us without permanently condemning us. God, we know that you resist the proud but give grace to the humble. And the last thing in the world we want is to experience your resistance, Father. So we humbly bring ourselves before you today. Bring glory to yourself as you bring us back to your ways. And Father, forgive us for trying to justify our pride and our distance. No one else's failure to love well can excuse our own failures to love in that way. Forgive us for investing more energy in propping up our reputations than in honoring yours. Forgive us for confusing the self-righteous and self-serving dialogues we carry on in our own heads, Father, with prayer with you. Too often, we have not been talking to you. Forgive us for relinquishing, um, for, excuse me, for relishing the thought of, of being right, even when there's been everything wrong with our hearts. Forgive us for being passive in the face of a potential messy situation rather than actively bringing your love, grace, and truth to that moment, to that incident, to that situation. Lord God, give us confidence in who you are and your love and goodness. Help us to take to heart the knowledge of, of your great work in the world and help us to pray with that confidence for your lost children and damaged creation. Have mercy on us, Father. Have mercy. As this day unfolds, grant us humility and the kindness and courage to take your word to heart and live it. Bring glory to yourself, grace and gentleness to our hearts, and a good gospel outcome to the work you do in us and the work you give to us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.